You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit MarathonChurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. Hey, good morning, Marathon. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good today? How about everybody watching online? Thanks so much for joining us online. You're probably like at the beach or the lake or camping. Um, But anyway, thanks for tuning in. We're glad that you guys are here. Uh, We're going to have an awesome time together today. And we're going to wrap up this series called Running with the Giants. And our series finds its basis here in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So we've been picturing this arena in heaven, and it's full of people who've lived a life of faith before us. And I can tell you that that my grandparents are there, uh, my mom is there, my mother-in-law is there. Many of your loved ones are there sitting in that arena cheering us on. They're cheering us on and they're encouraging us and they're cheering for us. And and we're learning from some of them what it means to strip off the weight that slows us down. We're learning to get rid of the stuff that distracts us and slows us down in this race that is a life following Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Each one of us has a unique race marked out for us. So you just run the race that God has marked out for you. It's unique to you. So we're talking about what can we learn from these people that are in this arena that have run this race before us. What can we learn from them? And we've looked at some bigger than life people of the Bible. They're members of what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. They're listed for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll look there in just a moment. But... My family and I, so we're, we're fresh off of a road trip to Michigan, and uh, we came home by way of Ohio, and we stopped in Canton, Ohio to visit the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And folks, this is hallowed ground for a football junkie like me. Uh, it's quite an experience for a guy like me who loves football. And by the way, if you love football, only 40 days until football starts. I'm just getting you ready for that. You could clap for that. I clap for that. And here's the amazing thing about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Almost 27,000 men have played professional football in the National Football League. And counting this year's class that will be inducted early next month, only 346 have made it to the Hall of Fame. And when I walked through this gallery, I saw men that, to me, seemed bigger than life. Uh, They were giants, or are giants in their field. Many of them are even giants in our culture. And and they, they seem bigger than life, but they're just men. The giants of the faith that we've looked at, they seem bigger than life as well. But they're just men and women, just like us. And I know that many times it's it's hard for us to get our heads around reading and talking about people that lived thousands of years ago, especially 
from documents that were produced thousands of years ago. And it can be really difficult to grasp and relate to what life was like for many of these people that lived in ancient times. But today I want us to see a guy I think we can relate to. And he's one of the most bizarre dudes in the Bible. Uh, He may be a guy that you've heard about. His name is John the Baptist. And let me just set this up before we jump into our main text. So John the Baptist is what I would have called an Old Testament believer. Even though his story is recorded in what we call the New Testament, he was an Old Testament believer. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he never saw the crucifixion. He didn't see the veil of the temple torn in two. He did not experience the resurrection of Jesus. He did not see the risen Jesus. And he made the Hall of Fame. And though he's not mentioned by name, we find him here in Hebrews 11. The writer says, I can't list them all, but there were others that died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. John the Baptist was killed with the sword before Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And again, before we get into our primary text today in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, I want us to see a passage from Malachi. It's kind of the backstory for John the Baptist. Malachi was the last of the prophets in the Old Testament. And after Malachi, after God spoke to Malachi, God is silent for 400 years. As far as verbal or written revelation is concerned, God is silent for 400 years. And this is how Malachi ends. God says to Malachi, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. And his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring salvation and judgment. But before I do, I'm going to send a prophet. I'm going to send an Elijah-like prophet or preacher and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, Elijah in the Old Testament was this powerful, eccentric, and charismatic leader and prophet who accomplished amazing things in the name of God. And God says, there's another guy coming who will make way or will pave the way for the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And this Elijah will set the stage for Jesus, the Messiah, who would bring both salvation and judgment, which is exactly what we see at the cross. When Jesus was crucified, it was a horrible day and that, that the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God. But it was a great day because it provided salvation, made it possible for us. So Messiah is coming, but before he comes, this prophet will set it all up. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about John and his birth and some stuff that surrounded it. Uh, It's an incredible story in and of itself. But let's pick up in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew says in those days, and what he means is 30 years later. See, in Matthew chapter 1, he gives us the genealogy of Jesus. In chapter 2, he tells us that the wise men came and visited and that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were exiled to Egypt. And then he springs ahead 30 years. In those days, or 30 years later, 
John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And I want you to note that John is in the wilderness to get people away from the distractions of their life. He's out in the wilderness, so they'll have to leave their comfort zone to hear what God is going to say. And his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. And John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food he ate locusts and wild honey. Ew. Everybody say ew. If you're watching online, just say ew. Ugh. And people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them, in the Jordan River. So can we just begin with his name? The scripture refers to him as, and we call him John the Baptist. And it's not because he's not John the Methodist or John the Presbyterian or John the non-denominational guy. It ain't like that. It's John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. The Greek word baptizo means to immerse or dip in the water. When they began to translate these ancient documents into English, there wasn't really an English word that matched up to baptizo. We don't really have a word for dip underwater or immerse in the water. And so they took the Greek word baptizo and they Englishized it. They made up an English word. And so it's translated in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, baptism or baptist or baptized. As far as we can tell, John was the first person to literally and lovingly put his hands on people and assist them in their baptism. So John is out there preaching and baptizing, and he's baptizing people who have repented or have turned to go another way. They've turned from their old life, and they're living a new life. And this was a totally new thing. And this is crazy to think about. Jews did not get baptized. Baptism to that point in the first century was a part of a process that a non-Jewish person would go through to become Jewish. Baptism was only for non-Jewish people. Baptism was for Gentiles or non-Jewish people who were converting to Judaism. And so there were classes and indoctrination and a meal and a celebration and part of the process was baptism. It was a ceremonial washing where you came up out of, when you came up out of the water, you forsook all things non-Jewish and you embraced all things Jewish. And it was typically done kind of in isolation, without any assistance. It's kind of done alone. And it was for Gentiles. So John the Baptist has come to the Jordan River and he's actually physically baptizing people. And he has come to call Jews who don't get baptized to repentance, and to be baptized. So he is known by his nickname, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And I'm guessing initially it was said very sarcastically, <laughs> the, the baptizer guy. Yeah, John the Baptist. That's what we're going to call him from now on. Who does that? Who baptizes people? John the Baptist. 
John's out there. He's baptizing. He's preaching. He's calling people to repent. He's calling people to turn from their ways. Turn to God. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. And folks, it's similar to what we do when we baptize. People go under the water to testify that their old life is gone and a new life has begun in Jesus. By the way, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you've not been baptized by immersion, August 22nd is your day. We have a special event planned that evening for you. It's going to be a worship night and baptism and a life group connection. It's going to get, be an amazing time. And if, you, if you're following Jesus and you've not been baptized, that is your next step in your faith journey. When you're baptized, that's how you tell your friends, how you tell your family, your loved ones, that you're following Jesus and you've left your old life and you have a new life following Jesus. So here we have John who is talking to Jews, not Gentiles. He's talking to Jews who do not get baptized and he's saying, repent and be baptized. Turn from the life that you're living and be baptized. And the Jews are like, I don't need to be baptized. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I, I don't need to be baptized. I'm already in. I, I'm a descendant of Abraham. But yet, Jews are coming out to the wilderness. Many of them have probably never left Jerusalem. And by the way, it's not an easy or convenient trip from Jerusalem in that day. And they're coming to be baptized by John. Now, as I alluded to, John was a miracle child from God. An angel appeared to his dad and said, I know your wife is old. I know y'all ain't got no kids, but you're about to. And God has something special for him to do. And this is what the angel said. Luke, the historian, records it for us. He said, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So what we have here is we have Israelites, people of Israel, who are apparently and assumed to be already in the kingdom coming out to no man's land to hear John preach and they're repenting, they're turning from their, their sin and they're being baptized. And I just want us to note a few things about John today. First of all, it's John's message and ministry. It's really the first thing to note about John. It's his message and literally his ministry. His message is, I know that you're a descendant of Abraham. I know that you think you're all good. I know that you believe that you're already part of the kingdom of heaven, but it's about to get real out here. They are already God's people. They already have a covenant with God. And what John is doing is he's taking a bunch of people who already believe that they're in good standing with God, and he's taking them and he's turning them to the Lord. You see, they're, they're in, but they're not in because everything's about to change. They're in, but they're not in because Messiah is about to come. They think they're all good, but John's like, no, you need to repent and turn and go this way because the kingdom of heaven is on your doorstep. And can I tell you, I feel like it's not unlike our deal in the church. Oh, we come to church and we read Christian books 
and we listen to preachers and we listen to podcasts and we have online devotions and we crank the worship music 24-7 and we just love all things Christian. It's a culture unto itself and some of us love Christian stuff more than we love Jesus. We like Jesus, but we love Christian. We know the Christian music and the Christian lingo way more, way better than we know Jesus. I might even go so far as to suggest that some of us don't know him at all. Some of us still need to meet Jesus. Some of us need to repent and turn from being religious and turn to Jesus and be baptized. Listen, here at Marathon, we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Marathon has always been about that. Pastor Eddie said when Marathon was being birthed that they prayed for people who didn't go to church or who had given up on the church. And that might be your story. You might have given up on the church. You, you grew up in the church. Maybe you got bored with the church because Lord knows it was boring when we were kids. Maybe the church has got to be too much. Maybe there were too many hoops you had to jump through. Maybe we were against too much. Maybe you got tired of hearing every week that you needed to get your life right, whatever that means. You felt like the preacher just like took the Bible every Sunday and just beat you down with it. And it just it got to be a burden and you couldn't take it anymore. And you got to be an age where you could, so you bailed out. I don't know what it was that put you over the edge, but you bailed out of church. So even now, though, years later, you know all the right things to say and do. But what about a relationship with Jesus? Listen, I'm not trying to get anybody unsaved today. John's message was, I know you're in Israel. I know that you're a descendant of Abraham. But you need to turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message and ministry. Now, we have to talk about his diet and wardrobe. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. That's itchy, right? Ugh. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. I don't know what that's about. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Say what? He dresses weird. He eats grasshoppers smothered in honey. But here's the beauty of John. And I want us to get this. John is raw, real, and uncivilized. When you read the entirety of Matthew's account of the gospel, you, you realize that the entire document is written to make disciples or followers of Jesus. In fact, the document ends with Jesus saying, go, go all over the world and make disciples. The entire thing is about being a follower of Jesus, about being a disciple. And the first disciple that we're introduced to is John the Baptist. 
And I would submit to you that we need the spirit of John the Baptist in Christianity today. We, we need this kind of raw and real and uncivilized life in Christianity today. You know, that's what Christianity has always been about. That's what following Jesus has always been about. I mean, we, in our culture and 21st century America, we've really sterilized following Jesus. We dress nice and we know the lingo. In John's day, the super religious were super civilized. Like religious people, people that quote-unquote were God's people, were really civilized. And then John showed up, and he looks like this. So we can conclude from Scripture, and we believe historically, that John had taken a Nazarite vow, just like Samson. You remember in week one, Pastor Eddie talked about that vow that Samson took don't cut your hair, don't drink wine, don't touch dead stuff. Like I'm good with the don't touch dead stuff. No problem with the hair. There, don't cut your hair, don't drink wine, don't touch dead stuff. That means that John had never cut his hair or his beard. So think about this. Whatever picture you need to get, dude has never cut his hair or trimmed his beard, and they have zero grooming products. He doesn't have a comb. There's no beard balm. And listen, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm picturing dreads. Like, like big old thick dreads everywhere. In fact, tradition says that he had six huge dreads coming off of his head and that he's dressed in some camel skin dress with some belt and he's eating grasshoppers dipped in honey. Clearly, I'm no expert on hair or its care, but, but I would say that I'm, I'm kind of the poster child for civilized Christianity. I mean, my pants fit me. Somewhat fresh kicks. You know, a little credit there. You know, nice, nice golf shirt, buttons. I mean, could I be a more stereotypical preacher? Balding, middle, middle-aged hipster, could stand to drop 25, 30, maybe 40 pounds, I don't you know. Most of us are all civilized but John was raw and authentic and real and uncivilized. Let me say this. One of the reasons that Amy and I are at Marathon is because of authenticity. As a church, we want to be authentic and real. And listen, if you want somebody, if you want to see somebody repent and turn to Jesus, you have to be authentic. If you want to see your friend's life change, be real. Keep it real. Be authentic. Follow Jesus in a raw and real and authentic way. L listen, I am jacked up. Scripture tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. We don't even know how evil we are. You have 
No idea, because I look stereotypical 21st century American Christian on the outside. You have no idea how jacked up I am. Listen, if you, if you want to see somebody come near to Jesus, let them see how jacked up you are. Be authentic, be real, raw, real, authentic Christianity. Because this is what happens. You run into somebody that you grew up with. You see somebody that knew you before Jesus, and they're like, I didn't even believe in God. But if Jesus changed that dude's life, he must be real. I mean, this fool was an addict that ruined his marriage and his life, and his kids hated him, and now his life has completely changed. There must be something to this God thing. And, and please understand, I'm not trying to beat us up today. But, but we just we dig all things Christian, and everything is nice and neat, and we post our verse of the day from the Bible app on Facebook, and the power of God is absent from our lives. We need some raw, real, and authentic Jesus followers who will not settle for being religious, but will hunger for the power of God in their lives. John comes along and he says, this is me. And it's raw, and it's real, and it's authentic, and it's uncivilized. It's clothes covered in camel hair with some big old belt and dreads on his head and probably flowing off his face and it's grasshoppers dipped in honey and it's John saying, this is all I've got. This is me. I'm jacked up and my entire life is symbolic and it completely exposes you and your religion. How I look, what I eat, even what I wear is offensive to you but it exposes your misguided affection for your tidy religion. John completely exposes the religious. John is challenging the religious. In fact, if you were to read further, you would see that the religious leaders showed up. And they come out there in their robes and their formality and their rules and their regulation regulations and everything that John is and everything that John says completely exposes their religion. The last thing I want you to notice is that John is preaching. God, John came preaching. Back in verse 1 it says, in those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. John came preaching. So again, this is what we know from our culture. Today, in this setting, I am the preacher. So when we read that John came preaching, we immediately think, well, there's nothing for me to apply from this passage. Because I am the preacher, you are the listener. Preaching is what Eddie, Brian, Chase, Casey, and I do, and you come in with coffee. And you sit and you listen. We do the preaching, you receive the preaching. Preaching is our job. Preaching is not your job. Listening, drinking coffee, that's your job. All good. Except that the Greek word here for preaching means announcing. It really means announcing. It's a Greek word, karutso, and it means to be a herald. 
It means to publish or proclaim openly. And the idea is that a king or a ruler is coming to town, and so a herald or an announcer was sent into town ahead of them to announce that the king is coming. And it almost has a political tone to it. A runner would come into town and proclaim that the ruler or the king is coming, and that was good news. John was preaching. He was announcing, repent and be baptized because the king is coming. He was out there preaching. And this was his ultimate announcement. John records it in his account. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, here he comes. So, You're not a preacher in the sense that you stand on a stage and proclaim truth. You you may not be a Bible teacher in the sense that you stand up here and give people three ideas that will help them be better at life or you say five things that all start with the letter D and they'll make your life better. But we're all called to be announcers. We're all called to be announcers of the good news that Jesus died and rose again. You are called to be an announcer of the good news to your friends, your family, your co-workers, the people that you go to school with. All of us, all of us are meant to be announcers of the good news. Uh, Check this out. I want you to make note of this. John did not say, believe in Jesus. He did not say, follow Jesus. He did not say, give your life to Jesus. He just said, look. Look. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's because somebody announced the good news to you. Now, some of us were just forced to hear the good news from preachers growing up. But many of us know and are following Jesus because somebody announced the good news to us. Somebody said, look, just take a look at Jesus. And we're all meant to be announcers. So please understand, I'm not saying that you take over the next family gathering and start yelling. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not what I'm saying. They'd be like, what? I'm talking about walking and journeying with your friends and family and love and announcing to them what God has done for them and the change that he has made in you. Announce the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin and that he rose again to give us eternal life and a life worth living here on earth. That is good news. The good news is not dress a certain way or look a certain way or act a certain way. The good news is that Jesus is worth turning to. And we are all called to be announcers. So don't put it on Eddie and Brian and Chase. Be an announcer. Now, you may, may wonder, you know, what does that really look like? Let me give you a simple formula. Invest and then invite. Invest in the life of another person. Engage them in life. Invest a Starbucks. Invest a lunch. Invest a dinner. And then invite them to a service. 
Invite them to church and tell them that you'll take them to Cracker Barrel after the service because Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. You can't get God's chicken on Sunday. Just invest in them and then invite them. Can I remind you of this or tell you this? Maybe you don't know this. Everything that we do in every service is with your friend or family member in mind. Every minute detail of our services is planned with your friend or your family member who's far from God in mind. Invite them to a service. Invite them to your life group. We don't care where they are in their spiritual journey. Everybody is welcome here. We don't care if they've never set foot in a church or even given Jesus a a second thought. And let me encourage you to do this right here, right now where you're sitting there. I want you to begin to get your one in your mind and in your heart. Just get one person in your mind and in your heart that you need to invest in, that you need to invite. Who's your one? Listen, we are all called to be announcers. By the way, if you read all four accounts of Jesus' life, you will see him tell his followers over and over, I want you to announce. Wherever you go, wherever I send you, everywhere you go, everywhere I send you, announce. So John is out there preaching. He's out there announcing. And I want you to see what happens. People from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. People are leaving Jerusalem, they're leaving Judea, and they're they're leaving their comfort zone, and they're coming to hear John. They leave their comfort zone, and they head to the wilderness because they want to hear a hopeful message. And let me tell you, when we start announcing, people will leave their comfort zone, and they will leave their suspicions behind because they want to hear a message of love and hope that is the message of Jesus. See, human beings have a desire for two things. They want to hear the truth and feel loved. They may not like the truth, but they want to hear the truth. They want to hear the truth and they want to feel loved. And that's what the church is. If you're here today and you're exploring faith, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we just want to love you. We just want to love you. We want you to feel love. And then we want to tell you the truth about your life. That's why we're going to talk about relationships for six weeks. See, this is what John was doing. This is good news. When when you lay out good news for people, they're drawn to it. We, We need the good news to well up in us, and we need to announce it, and the Holy Spirit will draw people to Jesus. That's why we're here. So John, he's a bit sketch. But he's preaching. He's announcing. And people are drawn to him. They're going out there to listen. And you see the same thing when Jesus starts preaching. Great crowds come and check it out. Because people want to know the truth. And they want to be loved. And Marathon, that's what we want to be known for. If we will start announcing, 
people will come out to hear the truth and experience the love and their lives will be changed. Tell a friend about Jesus. Announce the good news. One last thought about John the Baptist. He, he would ultimately lose his head because of his message and ministry. But lives were changed and the world was a better place because of John. And this was his motto in life. You see, after Jesus started preaching, some of John's followers left and his other followers that remained were concerned because they were losing their crowd. But John was happy that people were turning to Jesus. Because that's what he came to announce. He announced, came to announce that the king is coming. And this was John's motto in life. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Long before it was on a t-shirt or a refrigerator magnet was John's life. You know, John seems like a giant to me. He seems bigger than life. But he was just raw, real, authentic, uncivilized, just a dude running around in camel skin, eating grasshoppers dipped in honey, and he came out announcing. Yo, there's a great crowd of witnesses watching us, cheering for us, and encouraging us to be raw, real, and authentic in our following of Jesus. And they're cheering for us and they're encouraging us to be announcers. Just announcing that Jesus must become more and more and I must become less and less. Just ask him to look. Not believe, not follow, not imagine. Just look. He's the Lamb of God. And he must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Would you pray with me? If you're a follower of Jesus today, and you're sitting in this room or you're watching online, I just want to encourage you one more time to get your one in your mind and in your heart. There is somebody in your life. There is somebody that God has placed in your life. And you just need to announce to them, Look, his name's Jesus. Would you just check out Jesus? And maybe they've never given him a second thought, but maybe God's already working in their heart. Maybe God's already working on their life. Tell them that they need more, that there's something more, that there's somebody more. As you sit there right now with their name in your mind and on your heart, I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray that God would open a door for you to invest in their life, to invite them to a service. And it could be perhaps you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus. I'm just here to tell you that all of this, everything is about Jesus. And it's all about what he's done for you and laying down his life to pay the penalty for your sin. And, and I, I can't walk off the stage today without giving you an opportunity 
to give your life to Jesus, to repent, to turn and go a different way and follow Jesus. If that's you today and you want to start following Jesus right now, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say, Heavenly Father, I can admit that I'm jacked up. I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that he rose again. And I put my faith in him. And I place my life in his hands. And I want to follow him from this day forward. People are still praying. Nobody's looking around. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just raise your hand? I, I just want to pray for you. I'm not, I'm not going to come out there or anything. I just want to pray for you. Anybody, you, just, you prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus today? Anybody? So we're all good then. So we can focus on the one now. The one who, if they were sitting with you, could maybe have raised their hand. Or maybe you just didn't feel like raising your hand. Maybe you have more questions. Maybe you need more information. Maybe you need to know more about this Jesus that must become greater and greater. I'd love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you at the Connection Center. I'll be down front. Father God, we're so thankful for this place where we can draw near to you and where we can present your son Jesus. And our prayer is simple today, that he would become greater and greater and that we would be less and less so that he can have his rightful place, so that he can be honored, so that he can be glorified in this place because he is worthy. And we pray for all this in his wonderful name. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us online at marathonchurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at marathonchurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church Podcast.